Please open in the Psalm 10. Looking at <clears throat> issues of life, we've been looking at those for a while, under the big heading of the sufficiency of Scripture, I'm just wanting to, I felt just believe the Lord would have us and have me to bring messages on various aspects, issues of life, um, things that we deal with, things that the Word of God tells us that we deal with and that we face, and we all do. And so you've probably maybe looked at the um, bulletin, the title of the issue that we're going to look at tonight, and I don't know if we'll finish it all tonight, is the issue the subject of pride, and so there's a lot of places we could go. But let's go to Psalm 10 to begin. We'll read a few verses here, and then we will have a word of prayer and ask for the Lord's help in the messages, message tonight. Um, this is a great description of a proud person. Psalm 10 really puts it together. What makes a what what constitutes a proud individual, and how that manifests in their life. And because I want to say before we read the scripture, because even as Christians, we still have a sin nature. We've got the flesh. And so one of the, one of the things the flesh is most apt to, to in, in, engage in is that pride. So we'll talk about that. But let's pick, be, uh, begin in Psalm 10, verse 1. And the psalmist says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth, boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud, and under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages, in the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den, he lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. And yet humbling there is the idea that he bends low and hides himself. It's not that he's got any humility. And then verse 11. How many times have we heard this? He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. God's not looking, God doesn't care, God's not going to find out, that sort of thing. All right, let's pray. We thank you, dear Father, that we can gather together this evening and, and have our Bibles open and look at these great teachings of thy word. And just I pray, Father, tonight for the help of the Holy Spirit in bringing forth the message and that you would help us all, dear Lord, to live out the truth and respond and react like you would have us to, even concerning this issue of pride. So guide us tonight, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think about a young young fellow that I met in Bible college, way back in those days, in the mid-70s. One of the young men I met and became really good friends with used to say, 
I am proud of my humility. That was his favorite saying. I'm proud of my humility. Now, he wasn't serious, of course, for he really manifested a humble spirit most of the time. Um, I think, if I remember, there was about maybe ten of us in our little in our dorm. I think he was the only Canadian. The Bible school was in Canada. He was only the only Canadian. The rest of us were all Americans, and so being the, the kind and you know gentle and friendly guys we were, we used to tease him about how the United States was so much better than Canada, and he would lose that humble spirit sometimes. But that wasn't his fault. That was our fault, and I. But it was all pretty good natured. He'd get back at us, and, and so on. We'd, we'd drop it. We'd just, hey, we're just kidding. We love Canada. And we really did. After being up there for a couple years, we, we really began to love the country. But anyway, that was his thing. I'm proud of my ability. I'm proud of my heritage. You know, stuff like that. And so um, then I also heard about a, a guy, a preacher one time, that gave him an award for humility. He was known as a humble servant of God. And they made him return it because he began to wear it. And, so, and then somebody else said this, humility is a funny thing. Once you think you have it, you've lost it. <laughs> so anyway, and we laughed about those that are funny, but um, pride is a dangerous thing and something we need to carefully consider in light of the Word of God. So I don't know how far we'll get tonight. I just want to have a se- several different things I'd like us to consider um, in, the, in, a, in the psalm that we read, Psalm 10, we'll be there for a few minutes. It mentions pride a few times there. And it's interesting, a lot of words in the Bible, even though the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek, first of all, um, the words in the Old Testament have meanings just like the words in the New. And it's, it's, that's how it is with the word that's translated pride the most often. We're going to use the words that are translated most often or used most often in our Bible. And the, the, both in both the Old and New Testaments, the word pride means pride, arrogance, and haughtiness. It's the idea of, of having a high opinion of, of oneself, but it's, it's more than that. In the Bible, pride is most often used in regard to man's response to God. That's how pride is used more than any, in any other way. Uh, to God and His Word... Pride in the Bible, as it's used in Scripture, manifests itself in a spirit of rebellion or resistance to God and His Word, or a neglect of God, a defiance of God, just like our Scripture. There's two passages I want us to look at relating to the meaning of the word pride. And one here is found in in Psalm 10. Verse 4. Here is really a great example or picture or description of a person who is proud. It says in verse 4, the wicked, in the Bible, the wicked means the ungodly, the unsaved, right? The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God, will not seek after God. And so on one hand, it says that a proud person won't seek God. He will, he will not acknowledge his need of God. And he is, his idea is, I can handle it myself. It's my life. I know what to do. I know what I want. And I know how to live and all those kind of things. So he will not seek God for salvation or for help or for guidance. And then the second aspect, also in verse 4, is God is not in all his thoughts. Now, that doesn't mean 
how it's there in English, it doesn't mean that he's in some of his thoughts, God's in some of his thoughts or most of his thoughts, but not all of his thoughts. No, it's the idea of this. God is absent from all of his thoughts. So we can read it this way. God is not in all his thoughts. It's like a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And, I, and you and I, as believers, can, I can't imagine, I don't think you can either, if you can imagine people who go day after day, day after day, week, month, year, never thinking about God. That, 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 that seems almost impossible, doesn't it? Because we start off our day, and I'm sure most of us, all of us do, some way we start off our day, we wake up in the morning, and we're thinking about the Lord. And certainly we're asking Him to help us through the day, hopefully spending time in the Word and prayer, and that sort of thing. Can you imagine? And God said back in the days of Noah, what did He say about mankind? The thoughts of the imagination of His heart was only evil continually. Man, can you imagine that? People that never have anything but evil thoughts. But that is a, that's a proud person. God is not. God is eliminated. God is removed from all his thoughts. He never thinks about God. Only thinks about himself and what will please himself. All right, let's go to another one. And this is in uh, Proverbs chapter 16. Because <clears throat> a lot of things in Proverbs, on the subject of pride, I'm just going to take a look at one, two verses in one chapter. We're going to take a look at Proverbs 16. And this is not so much the definition of pride, but how God looks upon pride and some of the, the dangers of pride. Um, chapter 16, verse 5, it says, Everyone that is proud in heart. And so again, pride, like, like everything else, is a, is a heart issue. It starts within, and then it manifests itself on the outside. And what about it? What is it? Everyone that is proud in heart, everyone that has that heart, you know, obstinate against God, and haughty and arrogant, is an abomination to the Lord. Think about that. So pride in those who are proud is an abomination to God. Um, abomination is, is something that is detestable, disgusting, abhorrent, filthy, um, in the sight of God. God hates pride, right? Because pride is, a, is, a, is just a, a, it's an assault against the character of God and, and the, the, the right of God as our creator to be worshipped and to be, that we be humble before him. And so pride is the opposite of that. And pride is at the root of everything that God, you know, it, it goes against everything that God intends for us, right? Now, um, and then it says this, and look at verse, oh, sorry, verse 5, let's finish. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. So in other words, hand join in hand, that's, so he, you know, he makes his agreements, and he makes his covenant, and says, hey, we're in this together, let's join forces, and you know, we'll do our thing, um, like they did at the Tower of Babel. You know, God said, multiply, fill the earth. He said, oh, no way, we're going to stay here, we're going to build this tower, we're going to make us a name, us a name. See, we're not here to make us a name, we are here to magnify God and make his name known, right? People are supposed to see, not us, but they're supposed to see God. And I, 
I remember talking to a, a preacher a long time ago when I was just a young guy, and I looked up to this guy a lot, and he said to me one time, he really wished that when he's preaching, they could put a wall in front of the pulpit so they wouldn't see him. And they would, they would hear the word, they would hear his voice, but they wouldn't see him. He, he didn't want to people to see him, he wanted people to see the Lord. And so that's a, that's a, that's a tremendous, that's a great thing. But that's not how our nature is. Our nature is, hey, me, 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 right? Me. There was a song in, a few years ago, and it was, I don't know the title of it, but the, the main line of the song kept getting, I want to talk about me, I want to talk about I, right? And the commercials, you know, look out for number one and all that sort of thing. Well, that's not what God would have for us to do. God is number one, and we are to look out, look for in, for his ways, and so, but the proud don't do that. And then we have down in verse 18, a very, very famous verse. The dangers of pride, verse 18, pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. So, um, th- those, all those, eventually, um, the wicked, he may make it all through his life. But you know what? The moment he dies, destruction comes. The, all of his proudness comes back upon him. Right? And so we need to remember that haughty spirit before a fall. There's many examples in Scripture, and so we want to move on to this next thing. So just, let's just remember, and we're going to see more teaching in the Scriptures warning us, but remember, we need to, we need to be, be on, the, on the lookout for pride, for times that we want to be proud or attempted to be proud, things like that. We need to watch out for those things. But, and we're going to give you some things to look at here in a little bit. But So we have the meaning of pride. It's an arrogancy, a haughtiness, especially against God, against His Word, and I'll make it on my own, that type of thing. But then second, we want to look at some manifestations of pride. Who are some characters in the Bible that manifested pride and what happened to them? Right? And I think we could kind of use that statement that we just read Pride goeth before destruction. Let's see what happened to some of these people who were proud. With, with one exception, all right, we're going to take a look at one guy who didn't—he didn't—he wasn't destroyed. But anyway, we'll just see what I mean. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 14. The first—the first one I take a look at is Lucifer. Lucifer, Isaiah 14. Still there. And in doing so, we're going to take some characteristics of some things that these people said that revealed a proud spirit and hopefully apply it to us as a safeguard. The Bible says, the New Testament says, the things which were written aforetime were written for our learning so that we can avoid some of the things that they did. Now, in um, Isaiah 14, a very familiar passage of Scripture I'm starting in verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? So his pride, his haughty spirit, literally ended up in a fall. Right? How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, so the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For, now here it is, thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. 
I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now, he's not there yet. He will be there someday. Now, in the, the parallel passage in Ezekiel says that, that Lucifer was the anointed cherub. So we could say safely from the word of God that Lucifer was the highest angel. And there's indication in scripture that he was in charge of the creation and many things and he had a high position second only to God. If there's a, and I believe there is, the Bible indicates that there is a, there are classes of angels or classifications. There's the archangels, there's cherubs, and so forth. And so it certainly appears that Lucifer was at least among the top three with Gabriel and Michael. And again, Lucifer may have been the highest angel. I don't think it's a stretch to, to believe that. And But he was not satisfied. He wasn't content with what where God had him. He wanted more. And he said, I will. Notice all these things he said have to do with taking the place of God. And then he said, I will be like the Most High. And so he coveted and he desired to have the place that God had. And have the power and the authority and, and all the things of God, the worship that God had, and all the things. And so he said, I will, I'll do all these things. So, this is what I want us to think about along this line, and that is this. Sometimes pride is expressed with I will. And that's a word of desire. I will. I will. I will. I will. Five times. Lucifer said, I will. Okay. In his pride, and of course he became the devil and all those kinds of things. Well, let's go back the next logical situation to look at is Adam and Eve. All right, back in Genesis chapter 3. Um, Genesis chapter 3. Because God, or Luke, the devil, and to this day, Lucifer, Satan, Jesus referred to him both those and other things. He called him Lucifer, he called him Satan, he called him the devil. Um, anyway, um, he still has that desire. Right? And he knows his end. I'm sure of that. You know, Revelation 12, it says that he, uh, the devil has come to you having great wrath because he knoweth that he has but a short time. So he knows the end. He knows what God's plan is. He knows the word. But as long as he exists, he is going to fight God. He's going to try to be God. Right? Take the place of God. Right? That's where all cults and false religions come from. Even though they're invented by humans, those humans are inspired, if you want to call that, by the devil. Right? To take the worship away from God and give it to him. Right? In fact, in the Old Testament, it mentioned in Psalms and other places that when Israel worshipped idols, in, in effect, he said, you were worshipping devils. Right? Demons, you were worshipping Satan. Right? And so that's what they're doing Today, we all, all these false religions. All right, you know, you know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and how the serpent came to Eve. And verse 1, let's go there. Now the serpent was more subtle 
that is crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. All right, so that tells us right there that this was not just a serpent. This was just not an ordinary serpent. There was another being who, who either took the form of a serpent or possessed a serpent. Right? This was not an ordinary serpent. And he said, obviously, most snakes usually don't talk, serpents don't talk normally, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. All right? At least in your mind, if not with your pen, you should underline those four words. Yea, hath God said. The serpent, the devil, began right there questioning the word of God, and he's done that ever since until to today. There are God's word is questioned all the time. And unfortunately, by some who claim to be Bible believers and, and Christians even question God's word today. And I know the Bible says that, but you know, my situation is different, all that sort of thing. But, but so that's what the devil did. He, he, he tried to plant questions and doubts in Eve's mind. So she answered. The woman said to the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And there's a couple of things. We don't want to belabor this tonight, but she misquoted and misrepresented the word of God. God said that they were not to eat of it. It's debatable, you know, the idea shall you touch it? Was she making it more restrictive than, than it actually was? Um, making her own, so playing into the devil's hand, you know, because, you know, if you, if you the temptation is always strongest, like, you know, when you're, whatever you're told you can't do, we have a little four-year-old great-grandson, and I'll tell you, he, he just, he goes right, maybe you, you that raised kids, you probably saw, there's certain things they know they're not supposed to do, like don't touch the, the light socket, don't touch the receptacles, and so what do they do? And they do those things, right? You know, don't touch the soul. You know, they get right there, right to the, you know, so you know how, so that's what they do. And that's how temptation works. It gets, draws you little by little. And so she said, we're not supposed to touch it. And then she said this. God said, lest you die. The word lest means there's a danger. You might die. And of course, here, here it is, right here. The serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die. Did he know the command? He certainly did. Adam and Eve were created. The garden was there. They were in the garden before Lucifer fell. I'm convinced of that. Because the Bible says, we're told in Ezekiel especially, tells some of the things that Lucifer had done before he fell. He was in the garden. He, you know, he, did these, he was over creation. All these kind of things. So here it is. Here it is. The devil finally says, you, ye shall not surely die. It's, it's not going to happen. It's not for sure. For, and here's, and here's what the devil says, said in his temptation or his deception, remember the Bible says Eve was deceived. He says, in effect, he says to Eve, let me tell you, 
I've been there. I've been with God. And uh, here's the real reason. You're not, he doesn't want you to that tree. Verse 5, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. And that's really the word Elohim. So could be God knowing good and evil. And so what is the devil saying? He's, he's basically saying to Eve, God is selfish. God is stingy. He's holding back something that you that should be yours. And, and my, what a difference it would make in your life. And you need this. This is great. It'll make you, bring you up a lot higher than you are now. You'll be just like God. Well, huh. See, he wanted to, to impose his own desire to be like God, put, put that in Eve's mind. And you know what? The years go by, the generations go by, the toys go by, the, the gimmicks go by, but the devil's tactics, he uses the same thing because it works. And, and we, a lot of times we will we'll say something like, if it ain't fixed, if it ain't fixed, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What the devil does is work for centuries. Again, it's dressed up in different things. We have more things today than we had back then. So he finally he tells her, he finally kind of like you know, throws the noose and yanks the rope. And when the woman saw, here, here's, here's her mistake, here's the big, biggest big mistake right here. She listened to the devil. She saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes of them both were open and they knew they were naked, that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons and then God came into the picture and praise God he did you know, he could have just let him. He didn't let him go. He said, the Bible says, verse 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the wording there indicates that this was something that they had come to recognize because it wasn't the first time. But rather than run to him, as they no doubt did before, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said to him, Where art thou? Now he knew where he was. And he said, this is that, this is that thing, um, one of those principles in the word of God, where God speaks and there's no escape. And they answered, they responded. And he said, Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. See, they, they, they knew the voice of God. They'd heard it before. Back in chapter 2, God talked to Adam. Well, verse 11, God said, He said, Who told thee that thou was naked? See, they were clothed in innocence, the glory of God, and sinlessness, and all that, and that's gone. God said, Who told thee? How'd you find out? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? 
And the man said, yes, God, I am guilty. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Uh, no, did he do that? He said, no, no, God, the man, no. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So she bl- he blamed Eve, and really, there's a finger out of pointing toward God, the woman you gave me. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Now this is, there, there's, and there has been, and God says, later on in the chapter, I don't think we're going to go through the whole, the whole rest of the chapter, although you ought to do that. God basically told them that their life was going to have, have conflict from that point on. So even the conflict between husband and wife, the thing that God created to be so beautiful and so wonderful, and walk together, and love God together, and love each other, and you know, just walk through this life, that ruined that, that hindered that greatly when they fell. Now God, through Christ, has reconciled us to himself and made possible a kind, the kind of life that he intended for us, you know, in a way, but there's still going to be a conflict because that fallen nature is still in us. And that fallen nature is me first, all right? Is I want my way. And it has to be my way. We're going to see that. We won't probably get there tonight. But anyway, let's continue on. So it's her fault. Verse 13, the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And you know what the woman said? The devil made me do it. <laughs> her fault, or his fault, the serpent beguiled me. And I did eat. And I hated it back in, I don't know, the 70s or whatever. Somebody came out with these t-shirts and sweatshirts and people were wearing them all over the place. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Oh, I hated those things. But anyway, um, and I'm sure that the old the devil here, the serpent, was glad to have the credit. Yeah, I did it all right. And anyway, so then God pronounces a curse on the serpent. So, 1 Timothy 2.14 says, and Adam was not deceived. Right? Let's, you know, think about that. Let's go there for just a minute. And let's think about that. And we probably won't get too much further tonight. Maybe one more. Um, um, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I may have, I know I did share this with some of you, and I probably shared with everybody at one time or another. But this situation, this incident with Adam and Eve and Eve eating the fruit first and giving it to her husband um, has caused a lot of things, issues in the world. Um, When I was in Liberia, I think it was the second time, um, Pastor Jesse asked me to teach a class to the men on how to be godly men, godly husbands, and how to treat their wives and stuff like that. And I got some flack from some of the guys. I remember one guy in particular. And I went to, I went to the passage in 1 Peter where we're supposed to, husbands were to dwell with our wives according to knowledge and giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. And by the way, somehow Eve was the weaker vessel before they fell. That's why the devil went after her. But anyway, be that as it may, a man raised his hand. He said, you mean to tell me I'm supposed to respect the daughter of Eve? They're, she's the one that put us in the situation that we're in. The woman, Eve. So I said, sir, take your Bible and turn to me to 1 Timothy 2.14. 
Turn your Bible to Romans 5.12. It doesn't say by one woman sin entered the world. It doesn't even say by one man one woman. It says by one man. And here in 1 Timothy 2.14, it says, God says, Adam was not deceived. So what does that mean? That means just what it says. But in other words, Adam was not tricked. Adam was not fooled. He was not deceived. He was not beguiled. So therefore, it only can mean one other thing, that Adam willingly and willfully ignored the command of God and ate the fruit. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, yes, Eve, Eve, yet Eve gave it to him, and he ate it, but it puts the blame squarely on Adam for his actions. And so there's theological things there that Adam was acting as the head of the human race, because that's what he was. This stuff about the fact that that wasn't true till after the fall, that's not so. God created Adam to be the Eve, the head of Eve before the fall, when they were created, that she was to be a help meet for him. He wasn't created to be a help meet for her. It doesn't say anywhere in scripture that Adam was to be Eve's help meet. He was, she was to be his help me. So he was, in fact, in the verse we didn't look at, verse 13, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. So the order is important. Adam was created. He was to be the head. He was to be the help me, and so on. They were, they were, there would have been perfect harmony if they, hadn't, if they hadn't fallen. By the way, that passage also talks about Timothy, or Paul says to Timothy, that women are not to have authority over men in the church. Why? Because Adam was first formed, right? So this woman preachers and all this stuff, it's not of the God, it's not of the Bible, it's wrong. And so anyway, and anyway women should never, should not have authority over men in the church. And then, but that, that's another issue. But Adam was not deceived. Remember that. And then again, Romans 5, 12, by one man... Sin and the world. All right. Now we can't. We can't. I'm not even going to. <laughs> what if he? What if he did? I'm not even, you can go there. He ate. And the, the way the scripture is set up, and the way the scripture talks about Adam being the head of the human race. If you or you or you or you or any of the guys here, me, if we would have been there, we'd have done the same thing. And I went off. Oh, I'd have been there. This is the one guy said. Oh, I would No, if you'd have been there, you'd have done the same thing. All right. So how are we doing? Well. Um, let's go back. Yeah, let's, let's finish it. Let's go back to Genesis 3. Just look at this again a little bit. Um, and then we're gonna, we'll call it a night um, for this evening. You still have to look at the people of Judah. Um, and so the devil, the serpent, the devil in the form of serpent, he appealed to Eve's pride. And we're going to look at it. I want to mention that. We're going to look at it probably next Sunday night. There is a scripture in 1 John chapter 2 that talks about three types of sin, three types of things in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Now what, and all, by the way, all these, the devil used these and, and Eve reacted in, in, in verse number 3. And we'll, we'll, we'll go back and forth on these when we get there. But she responded in all three ways. 
And the devil tempted her in all three ways. In her own words, what the, I mean, what the Bible says about her, she saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Right there, a tree to be desired to make one wise, that's the pride of life. Wisdom, esteem, popularity, honor, all those kind of things. Again, we'll take a look at that in a little more detail. And of course, because of the curse, God told Adam he'd have to eat from the fruit of the ground, the field. It's interesting. Now, let's go there. Because I, I, I was going over this and I thought a couple of things hadn't thought of before. Verse 16, on the woman he said, I will greatly multiply by sorrow and by conception. So the sorrow, the pain of childbearing was the, one of the consequences upon Eve. In sorrow shalt thou, thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. And the way, I, the, way the best I've tried to study that out and look it over is, is that, that Eve would always desire to take her husband's place of authority. She would always want that. Wow. Do we see that today? Women, they're, they're trying to take over the world, all right? Not Christian women, you know what I mean? And he shall rule over thee. There again, there's the conflict. Before the fall, Adam didn't have to rule over Eve because they were in a perfect relationship and love and submission, all those things. So, the Bible teaching that husbands are to be the head of the wife and the wife is to be in submission, husband is not a result of the fall. That's how God intended it. What's different is the unwillingness of husband and wife to fulfill their roles, their God-given roles. So God said one of the consequences is that's what's going to happen. And then verse 18, or verse 17, unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So did you get what God said to Adam? You listen to her instead of me. You listen to her instead of me. We've got to watch that, guys. We've got to make sure that we listen to God's word and do what God's word tells us to do. And don't be led astray. It can happen. It can happen both ways. Uh, I remember I followed one of my favorite, one of my best friends in Bible college. He used to testify. He was God called him to preach. He's going to do this and do that. He got married. I said, "What happened?" He didn't go to ministry. I said, "What happened?" He said, "My wife said, don't even think about going to ministry." He listened to her instead of God. See, and then, so got to watch out for that. Right. And then, but then also this. He said, "You listen to the voice, the part of voice of life, and as eat tree of which I commanded." Say, thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shalt bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return to the ground for all of it that was taken, for um, the dust thou art, and the dust shalt thou return. I never saw this until just this week, going over, going over, preparing this message. He's, God said, You're going to eat the herb of the field. You realize that was part of the curse? Where did they eat before the fall? They didn't have to go out in the field because God put them in the Garden of Eden. And God said, of all the trees in the garden, thou mayest really except one. 
So everything they would ever need was right there in the garden. It wasn't until after they sinned that they got cast out and had to go scrounge, as, as it were, and fight with the ground and the soil um, to get their bread. In the sweat of thy face, um, 19, shalt thou eat bread till thou return to the ground, for out of it thou wast, wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and the dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And Eve, Eve means life or living. And so there's that she is the mother. She is. And unto Adam also, and here's the great thing, here's the wonderful thing. And I kind of skipped over, you know, God gave the promise in verse 15 of the seed of the woman that would bruise the serpent's head. So that's the first promise of a redeemer. Okay? God had that all worked out. <clears throat> Unto Adam also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So God took away, remember they sewed fig leaves together to try to hide their nakedness, and that's a picture of man-made religion. And but God said, blood. Alright? There's no forgiveness except by the shedding of blood. And so he made coats of skins, animal skins. Right? So there it is. God killed animals and shed their blood and used their skin to fur and so on to clothe them properly. So they were covered physically and they were covered spiritually. Okay? And um, you covered them, clothed their, their nakedness. And so that was the case. And we go to <clears throat> chapter 4. They began <clears throat> to have children and <clears throat> Cain and Abel brought a sacrifice. Again, no doubt, Adam taught his sons that they needed to make a sacrifice in order to have their sins covered. And so Cain brought vegetables and fruit. You know the story Abel brought of the flock. Of course, God accepted Abel's offering because it was the right kind and because it was offered in faith. Both of those things. Okay? And the Lord God said, here we go, verse 22, Behold, the man is become as one of us. So the devil is lie. You know, half-truth is the most dangerous kind of lie. Satan is the devil. The serpent said, you'll be like God. And they said, yes. He's become as one of us to know good and evil. Of course, the devil, the serpent left out this part. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God Set him forth in the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed at the garden, at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims. And the flaming sword was turned away, or turned every way, to keep or guard the way of the tree of life. In other words, to prevent Adam and Eve from coming back and eating of the tree of life. Well, that was a, that was an act of judgment, but it was also an act of mercy. Because if they would have eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived forever in a sinful state. And so God didn't want that either. God's God. He's a merciful God, a God of judgment. And so he took care of the situation. According to the book of Ezekiel, in the third chapter, <coughs> the Bible says the trees of the garden are now in the center of the earth. So God got rid of that. So, and uh, I, I even hear people that should know better <coughs> talk about that tree of knowledge of good and evil being an apple. No, not an apple. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. I know it wasn't no apple because there's apples all over the world. Anyway, they even called this thing Adam's apple. I have no idea about that. 
But I just I know the fact that it was not an apple, it wasn't a peach, it wasn't a pear, it wasn't anything like that. It was a fruit, whatever kind, it's no longer around. But anyway, so God <coughs> cast them out. And so we're going to stop there for tonight. Um, what happened there, I don't think we'll ever understand the full consequences and what was ruling back there. And, uh, the earth, the world itself, and all that. From that fall, from the flood, the different judgments God has placed upon the earth. But thank God, through Christ, we are brought back into fellowship with God. Thank, thank God for that. So next Sunday night, we're going to talk about the people of, jo- of Judah and how they expressed their pride. And here was Adam and Eve by Eve wanting to be like God. And then we're going to take a look at Job. All right? I'm doing that very wisely. I carefully studied that. And God himself said that Job was guilty of pride. All right? So we'll, we'll go through we'll talk about that. And, uh, that's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we can spend in my word tonight. And help us, Lord, and me, and help us. There's nothing worse than a proud preacher. I pray, Lord, keep us from that and our people from that. And so, Lord, help us to, to be humble before you. And always look to thee for thy grace, and always look into the word, and always be in prayer, and be on guard against the attacks of, the, of, of Satan, of the flesh, of the world, all of which will try to, to bring, to instill pride in us. And help us, O oh Lord, as we, even, as we continue through this study, that would be very helpful to all of us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books, please, and we'll turn to hymn number. 388. Um, 388 have thine own way, Lord. Um, have thine own way. We would just sing verse number one tonight. Um, it's just a great reminder that very the first couple lines of that. Have thy own way, Lord, have thy own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Right. Like God said, Israel, the clay doesn't say to the potter, I don't like what you did. All right, sorry, first verse one.